Connie, thank you. Linda, thank you. I have missed that. Yeah, that was fantastic. Oh, speaking of things I've missed, you know the Olympics are almost over? You say, oh, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I have missed the fans watching the Olympics. Yeah? Anybody else? I know we get to watch it from our side of the TV, but I've missed seeing the, the friends, the family, the, 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 the strangers cheering for people as they, as they are competing. You remember back in the day, way back when BC, before COVID, <laughs> that, never, that never gets old. I love that. We used to pack stadiums, right? I think we got a picture of a pack stadium. You guys remember those days? I mean, people shoulder to shoulder, row after row after row, column after column after column. Remember that? Way back when. Man, there is something undescribable, inexplainable about the energy that a crowd can exude. It's almost something magical. I found there's almost something magical about somebody in a crowd like that who can, at the inning break or halftime, find their way from their seat to the bathroom, to the concession stand, and then back to their seat without any problem at all. Magical. Okay, because that's not me. All right? I don't like crowds. Abby would tell you that. But if I'm in a crowd like that, and we get to halftime, and Sam or JJ is like, Dad, you want to go get some, some, some popcorn or something? No. <laughs> we got to go to the bathroom. So... You know, eventually they'll convince me, and, and this is how it goes, okay? I kid you not. I'll take a picture of Abby and the boys before I leave, and I'll take a picture of the, the row that I'm in, and I'll go down a couple of flights of stairs, and I'll look around just to get my bearings, right? And then I'll go down a couple of more stairs. You say, who say, really? Come on. That's That's hilarious. <laughs> I'll get down a couple of more flights, and I'll turn, and I'll wave at Abby and the boys, right? They're thinking, he's telling me I love you, and I'm thinking, I may never see you again. (laughs) Goodbye forever, right? And then I go, and I find the bathroom, which it's always on the other side of the stadium, always. And I have to hit three different concession stands, so I'm trying to walk back. I walk in the wrong door to get back. Popcorn, a bucket of popcorn, nachos in this hand, two sodas under the arms, right? And I I walk up the stairs, and I'm just trying not to trip, and I get to where I know I'm supposed to be, and I look up expecting to see Abby, you know, with this nice warm kiss of greeting, because I brought the nachos, and it's not her. (laughs) And then I realize I have no idea where I am. Right, so if I, if I don't ask you, to, I'm going to ask you to hold my, my soda next time. Or I'll put it down some more, and I'll have to call Abby. Hey, did, did the ushers come and get you different seats? Like, did we get upgraded? Because I'm, I'm right where we're supposed to be. She's watched the whole thing unfold, unfold from like a column or two over, and she's like, no, no, we're the same place. Okay, look up. Not that far. Okay, up, up to your left, right? No, other left, right? So she talks me through it until I get it. She's like, I'm, I'm waving my hands. You see me? Oh, thank you. I'll be right there. You experience that? Yeah, no, I know you haven't. <laughs> I know I asked this question last week. I'm going to ask it again. Do you ever think God feels like that? 
right, as, as he's watching us wander around with our best, you know, with, with our best intentions, we're doing good things, and, and we just miss as he's trying to get our attention. You, you think God ever feels like that? I do. I do. And I think he's in the business of regularly trying to get our attention. We're going to pray, and then we're going to look at more ways that God is perhaps waving his arms at us. Lord God, thank you that you constantly pursue us. Thank you that you don't give up even when we are wandering up the wrong flight of stairs or out the wrong doors. You keep after us. And I pray that you would continue to do that. Lord, as we look at more ways that you do that in Scripture, I ask that you would open our ears and our eyes to hear and to see what you want us to do and and say and be this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we kicked off a two-week sermon series titled, Hey You! Do I have your attention yet? And this is a series that came from suggestions from you guys when we asked, what do you want to hear spoke on? One or two of you said, well, talk about the unorthodox ways that God gets our attention. So we did that. Last week, we looked at four different ways that were outside the box that God can get people's attention, that that he has got their attention in the past. First one, we looked at the handwriting on a wall in Daniel. God got the attention of a king that night. Second one, we looked at uh, a donkey talking, talking to Balaam, and uh, God definitely got Balaam's attention. Third thing we looked at, it was kind of sensitive, but the ways God used plagues, pestilences, and perhaps pandemics in the Old Testament to get his people's attention. And then the fourth one we looked at last week was God's gentle whisper after a windstorm, after an earthquake, after a fire. Now let's be honest, if God was to use any of those ways today, we would probably realize it, right? I mean, if the donkey from Shek ended up on your door, knocked on it, and started talking to you, saying, this is a word from the Lord, you would, well, you would check and see what your wife put in the brownies, but you would probably listen, right? Any any of those ways. But there's times that God uses things. He uses ways that are not quite as fantastic, fanatical, as maybe fear-driven or fear-causing, but there's times that he gets our attention that maybe we wouldn't see if we weren't paying close attention. And that's what we're going to look at today. All right? Grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Esther. If you have your Bibles, that's after Nehemiah, right before Job. If that doesn't help at all, go ahead and grab your table of contents. That'll get you where you're going. All right. As you're turning, the story of Esther is this beautiful story of God's sovereignty. God, in the very details, he's evident and present throughout the book, and yet his name is not specifically mentioned. So as you're turning there, here's the, here's the overarching view of the story. The Bible scholars, you can tell me if I forget anything after, all right? There's this king named Xerxes, King Xerxes. He throws this big party, 180 days, six months long. Last day of the party, he wants to show off his wife, the queen. Calls for her. She does not want to come and, you know, be flaunted around like a trick pony. So she says no. King doesn't know what to do. Seeks some counsel. His counsel says kick her out of her position, right? So he kicks her out of the role of queen queen, and thus commences the search for a new queen. And searching the land, all the young, beautiful women get brought in, and Esther is chosen. Esther's a Jew. The king doesn't necessarily know that. But she is chosen as the next queen. She has a relative named Mordecai. Another main character in the story, a guy named Haman. 
Now, he gets promoted to the highest in the land aside from the king, and everybody, as he walks around, is supposed to bow to him, supposed to show him the proper respect. Mordecai doesn't. Haman gets mad, goes home, pouts, complains to his wife and to all the friends that were there, and his wife and his friends say, build a sharp pole, stick him on top of it. That'll solve it. He likes that idea. So he builds the pole and decides that the next morning he's going to go to the king and say, can I impale Mordecai? Just like that. The night before is when we enter the story. Esther chapter 6. We're going to go from this really big picture view of Esther down to a very small section. Maybe a couple of minutes, maybe a couple hours in the story. Esther chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. That night, the night Haman had had the pole set up, that night the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. And his attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. That's as far as we will go. Now, it may not be evident to the king, but God is sitting there waving his hands, trying to get the king's attention. Three ways I see in the story that God gets the king's attention. Three ways that God would get our attention also that are more practical more reasonable, more realistic. I'm going to go backwards just to mix things up, all right? The first way that God uses to get the king's attention, again, going backwards, is reading history. Reading history. This is, God can get our attention, too, of, of his people through our own history. The story says that the king asked the attendants to bring the book of the history of his reign so that it could be read to him. In the English Standard Version, it says, bring the record of memorable deeds. Or the book of the Chronicles. Now, we see several of these books referenced in the Jewish scriptures. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 27 says this, The account of the sons of Joash, the prophecies about him, and the record of his restoration of the temple of God are written in the commentary on the book of the kings. His son Amaziah became the next king. All right? Another chapter, another king, another chronicle. The rest of the events of Jotham's reign, included, including all of his wars and other activities, are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And when you hear something like that, do you think, oh, I want to read that. That's a page turner. I tell you what, we have chronicles in our Bible too, right? First Chronicles chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. <clears throat> the descendants of Adam were Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. The sons of Noah were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. <laughs> the descendants of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javon, Tubal, Meshach, Teres. The descendants of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riptha, and Togarmar. The descendants of Javan were Elishna, Tarnish, Kitham, Twelve more chapters of this before we even get into any of the exciting things that happen. It's no wonder the king called for this book, right? This will put you to sleep. 
Now, all joking aside, there are times God uses our history, our story, the things that have happened in our past to get our attention. Now, in our story, it just so happened, right, that the king says to the attendant, go get my book. It wasn't going to be a book like this. It was going to be a scroll taken from a bunch of other scrolls. Like, who knows how many hundreds of scrolls? And the attendant goes, grabs one out of however many hundreds of scrolls, unrolls it. You know how, like, when you don't know, read your, you don't know where to read in your next, your next Bible study, and you just like, I'm going to go here. Chronicles. Nope. Let me try again. I'm going to go. It's kind of what may have happened with this attendant. Unrolls the scroll, points at a story, and it just so happens that it's a story about Mordecai. If you haven't read the book of Esther, just a couple of chapters back, here is what took place. Esther chapter 2, verse 21 to 23. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gates, two of the king's eunuch, eunuchs, uh, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes, and they plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther, She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, two men, those two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. Forget just grounding them, right? Method of punishment back then. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. Catch where it was written? In one of the many scrolls that the king had accounting his reign, one of which just so happened to be pulled out by an attendant that night, pointed at and read that story. Can't you just see God? Hey, hey, King Xerxes, pay attention to this part. I want you to notice something, okay? This is something you rarely, if ever, hear, hear me say. I am not saying go and read your Bibles. I want you to do that daily, all the time. Keep doing that. God will speak. God will move. God God will communicate with you through this. But what I am saying is something different. I want you to take a look at your histories, your family's stories, okay? The church's story, which by the way, we're celebrating 125 years in September. Come ready for that. We're going to tell the story of First Church. Our city's story, our nation's story, our world's story. There are times we can look back and God can get our attention, You know, sometimes we look back at our history and we smile. That was a good stretch. But there's other times we look back and we cringe and we're like, oh, how could we have done that? How could our ancestors have done that? God can speak through our history. So study it, learn it, pay attention to it, because that may be the way God is trying to get our attention. Let's go back to our story. Same three verses. That night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. And his attendants replied, nothing has been done for them. Three ways I'm telling you that God's getting more, uh, King Xerxes' attention. The first was studying our history. Good. I know it was a long time ago. I just said that, but I'm glad you were listening. Okay. The second is this. God uses other people, the people around us, 
to get our attention. You notice in the text, at least in mine, it, says, it talks about the, the, um, the attendant twice. And the Hebrew only talks about him once, but it doesn't matter. So I saw that, saw the attendant, and I thought, who would that have been? So I looked up the, the Hebrew word for attendant, and it means young boy, uh, lad, or servant. It didn't give me much help. I mean, bottom line, this, this kid, this person could have been a standard servant of the king, somebody who stood right next to the king. So did the king know his name? Could have. Could have not. Did he know a story? Maybe. Maybe not. Was this somebody that the king had taken in as many conquests? We don't know that for sure. Or was it just somebody who had been specially trained and vetted to stand in the presence of the king? There's some serious vetting that had to go on for this. I mean, almost as much as we put our children's workers through, right? Amen, Amen, Connie says. I mean, we go through a background check. We go through a fingerprinting. We go through a psych evaluation. They're going to be working with kids, Okay, we go through their last 57 years of tax records, and we go through the home visit to make sure they can clean up after the kids make a mess. Don't we do all that? Yes. Yes. Our children's workers are thoroughly vetted. I'm not making light of that. The people who would have been standing next to King Xerxes absolutely would have been thoroughly vetted, especially after that whole Mordecai Bechthana Teresh incident. I don't think that this was just some random attendant that was there that happened to be the one that, oh, okay, you're going to watch the king tonight while, you know, while he, he's sleeping. No, I don't think that. I think this person had to have been around a while because when the king has this story read to him about Mordecai, which most scholars believe was about five years earlier, the king says, what was done for him? What recognition did he get? And if this was some random young boy, it would have been like, I don't know. This guy knew exactly that nothing had been done. So I've got to believe that God put that person right there at that time in that moment to get the king's attention. Sometimes God uses random people to get our attention, right? You think of the story in Acts 8 when the Ethiopian eunuch was riding along in his chariot and Philip shows up. That that was a random person. Then you, you think of times where God uses somebody very specific who you're close to. The priest Eli and his attendant Samuel. Maybe it's happened to you. It's happened to me a few times. I've had some people come up to me random and say, I've got a word of the Lord from you or for you. And that always, you know, makes me catch my attention, right? Like, whoa, really? So a few years back, we had a Whitworth senior who made First Church her home for a few months and then eventually moved home after graduation. And like a year and a half later, I was sitting in Florida. We're in Spokane now. I was sitting in Florida at a general conference and I get a tap on the shoulder. Hey, I'm so-and-so's dad. I've never done this before, but I think God wants me to tell you something. I listened. Sometimes God uses random people to get our attention. Other times it's those that we are closest to. Abby said some key things years ago, 2004, over a couple of Big Macs at Burger King, and that changed the trajectory of where we, where we live. We ended up moving to Chicago. God uses the people around us to get our attention. Will we realize it? Will we see it? Let's go back to our story. Esther chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so that it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, 
Two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters, they had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. And his attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. All right. Three ways God's getting the king's attention in this passage. Three ways that God could get our attention legitimately. The first was to read our history. Good. Making sure that my chronicles haven't put you to sleep yet. The second was by the people around us. And the third is the obvious one. It's the one you've been waiting for. Sometimes God just keeps us up at night. Is that simple? I see several of you like, "Uh uh-huh. I was sitting in my polka dot chair, favorite chair in my house, and I was thinking, okay, how many people will be at church? I did some figures. How many years of following Jesus will we have in the building? We've got over a thousand years of following Jesus sitting in here right now, at least over a thousand years. And my guess is if I asked you to show me your hands, if God has ever kept you awake at night, at least half of you would say yes. At least half, maybe more. In fact, our online conversation right now that's going on, at least I hope it's going on right now, is what keeps you up at night? Two weekends ago, I was in the mountains just north of Sandpoint with my sons, backpacking. And I usually sleep pretty good, especially the second night. First night's a little bit sketchy because you're getting used to the bears walking around that are going to eat you, right? You you sleep, I know that, okay? Second night's usually a lot better. It was opposite for me this time. First night, I was out, out like a light. Second night, I figured the exact same thing would happen. I couldn't sleep for hours. Hours, and I'm watching as the boys in their hammocks, they're turning their headlights off, and then I start hearing some heavy breathing, and hours. I knew that when I came back down the next day, there were some heavy things that I was needing to, uh, needing to address, and I realized, well, maybe God wants me to talk to him about this, and we did for a while, and, you know, I, I think ult- I must have ultimately fell asleep, but I believe that God kept me awake that night. Now, there's other times in Scripture that God keeps people awake, all right? God woke up King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. He was having some bad dreams. God woke him up, couldn't go back to sleep. He was scared to go back to sleep. That's understandable. You guys ever have bad dreams? I do, okay? Don't want to go back to sleep. In Proverbs 4, verse 14 to 16, it talks about the evil. They, don't, they can't go to sleep until they do their evil deeds, in Ecclesiastes 5, it mentions people who are very well off, the wealthy having trouble going to sleep because, uh, because they're worried about their wealth. Now, it's not always just bad things that keep us awake at night. Uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 148, I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise, your promises. So it can be a good thing. Sometimes God keeps us up at night. Not always. Sometimes it's dinner, Right? Or the Starbucks that you, that you drank at 3 o'clock and you knew you shouldn't. But sometimes God keeps us up at night. I see this taking place with King Xerxes. King Xerxes didn't wake up with bad dreams. He just couldn't go to sleep. King Xerxes wasn't worried about his wealth. He, he wasn't staying awake thinking about the promises of God because he wasn't a God follower. This was different. King Xerxes was being kept awake by God because God wanted to get his attention. Now, if you're half asleep now, wake up, because this is the best part of the entire text. All right, the absolute best part. The literal translation of verse 1, right? My translation that says, that night the king had trouble sleeping. The literal translation from Hebrew is, on that night could not the king sleep. 
Say that with me, okay? On that night, could not the king sleep? Sounds like Yoda. Pretty cool, okay? The Hebrew word for could not is nadad, and it's pronounced like that. I looked it up. N-A-W-D-A-D, not, I mean, that's our English transliteration of it, nadad. All right, it means to flee, means to depart, means to wander away. It means to be chased away. But in its prime root, its primitive root form, wait for this, in its primitive root form, the word nadad means to wave to and fro. Isn't that great? I didn't even know that was coming. That would have been, that would have been a cool thing to base a sermon series around. To wave to to and fro. That's what that word means. God was waving to and fro to King Xerxes, keeping him from sleeping because God needed something done. And if you know the story, God wrote the story the way he wanted it written. If you're wondering, I'm not going to spoil it. I won't let you know what happened to Mordecai. Okay, go home and read it if you haven't read it yet. Could God use insomnia not being able to sleep at night to get our attention. Go ahead and nod. Yes. Could God use the people around us to get our attention? Yes. Could God use our history to get our attention? Yes. I told you last week I was not going to stand up here and say, God is absolutely going to get our attention using X, Y, and Z methods. So I don't know for sure if he's going to use these for today for you or for me. But what's become evident over the last two weeks is God wants to get our attention. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to do so because he loves us passionately. And he wants to be in deep, dear relationship with us. Just like Abby waving at me from the crowded stadium, right? She knows that my best place is right next to her, near her. God knows the same thing for us. Our best place is right next to him, near him. So my challenge for you this week is this. Look for the ways God is trying to get your attention. Maybe it's outside the box ways. Maybe it's unorthodox ways. Maybe it is something as simple and reasonable as the things we looked at this morning. But when you realize God's trying to get your attention, listen, pay attention, do what he says, right? And then call somebody. Call them and tell them, hey, this just happened. Because then we get to become part of a great crowd of witnesses that are cheering each other on in the faith. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for this story about King Xerxes and Mordecai. Thank you for the ways it's evident that you worked in that story. Thank you that you still continue to pursue us and you want to get our attention. Lord, I pray that we would listen. I ask that this week, for those in the room and for those that are participating online and for those who will watch this later on, they would purposefully look for the ways you are waving your hands to and fro, trying to get them to look at you. And when they do, may they see a heavenly Father that is full of love. Again, thank you for the ways in which you can communicate with us. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you all just stand and let's close the service just reminding ourselves of how great our God is.